most Jewish parents, a college campus tour isn't quite complete without a visit to the University Hillel. Hillel has been the center of Jewish life on college campuses for decades. A hub, a resource, a shelter, and a social network just for Jews. A strong Hillel inspiring confidence, a weak one signaling vulnerability. Today, new organizations have joined the campus scene while others are fading away. But Hillel remains the beating heart amid rising anti-Semitism and a mission more important than ever before. Our special guest today, Adam Lehman, President and CEO of Hillel International. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. And welcome back to Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, what a historic week here with the president's visit to the Mideast. Obviously, all the after stories not completed yet. We're still going to see the readouts uh, from his visit uh, in Jeddah, Saudi. But as you and I have discussed, a historic moment, certainly, to fly from Israel to Saudi Arabia directly as the president of the United States, as he stated uh, in his preview for his trip in the Washington Post. Uh, I give him credit for that. I don't give him credit for a lot of other things, but... I'll give him credit for that one. And listen, I'm similarly going to give uh, our former president credit for setting the stage for for that kind of a, a flight uh, with the Abraham Accords. I think without those in place, this that particular piece of this doesn't happen. Um, clearly, President Biden has some work to do with the U.S.-Saudi relationship, and I think you know they, they're, they're focused in on that, and we're going to see some tangible results on the on the back end of this trip. Well, all I can hope is that he will hear. He will have already heard and will continue to hear in the next few hours from everyone he meets with pretty much in the Middle East, in Israel, in Jeddah. He will hear the same thing on Iran. Don't go back to that deal. Don't lift sanctions. Don't pour billions of dollars into this regime. We are in the backyard here. We're fighting this fight. Please stand with us, not with our mortal enemy. Remember, before he set off on this trip, Rob Malley was already indicating the United States would go back to Doha for another round of Iran talks to revive this JCPOA. It's in the president's Washington Post op-ed that he remains committed to bringing back that deal. And so there's a major strategic tension there in in this entire trip. And, uh, you know, one can only hope he listens and changes policy, in my view. Well, listen, I think if he was going right back to the deal that was there, he would have done it already. And I think the the fact that we aren't back in a deal yet speaks volumes about uh, what he is and is not willing to uh, to accept from the Iranian position. Or speaks volumes to the lack of negotiating skill of one Rob Malley to be taken to the cleaners and still be at the table as he gets taken to the cleaners some more. But anyway. <laughs> oh, Rich. Uh, Hillel, by the way, the topic du jour yeah. Hillel was a big part of my undergraduate experience. I'm sure yours as well, as for many of our colleagues. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Hillel and Birthright brought me to Eretz Israel for the first time on the first Birthright trip. Uh, a group from Johns Hopkins University and Towson University in Towson, Maryland. Uh, really formative time. Um, and, and this was before, at Johns Hopkins at least, there was a physical Hillel structure. Um, we were like the, the Hillel group in the desert. Like, uh, you know, after exodus from bondage in Egypt. So um, really important part of my uh, Jewish experience and really excited to have our guests. Yeah. And, you know, it already was to some extent a crowded campus experience. There were at the time a, a growing Chabad 
on campus experience going on. Uh, I don't think, you know, 20 years later for me, Chabad on campus today is far ahead of where it was uh, 20 years ago on many campuses. A-Pi, at least uh, for me, you know, was a formative experience uh, as a Jewish man in, in a fraternity. And there are sororities uh, that, that have similar cultures um, uh, for others. But Hillel was that hub, right? You couldn't get around it. It, it, it was sort of like how we say there's there's factions in the pro-Israel community, but everybody still goes to policy conference, right? It's it's the mothership. That's what Hillel still has always been. It's still the mothership with, with this big tent, and, and everybody has to sort of get there first. Agreed. Agreed. I, maybe even a bigger tent because of uh, a lack of a defined political agenda the way that some other uh, on-campus Jewish groups have. You know, Hillel, while, while standing for Zionism, doesn't necessarily, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this with our guest, doesn't necessarily prescribe a particular ideology the way that some other groups do. And so I'm interested and, and, to hear. And Jared, I think this is going to be a key issue as, as we key in on. I think it will be a lot of our discussion. Um, J Street U didn't exist when I went to college. I don't think for you either. The, the divide that we see today didn't really exist as such. It was still pretty unified. I remember we were in school during Second Intifada and the rallies, the buses going to Washington, D.C. for Solidarity Rally. Wherever we stand, we stand with Israel was a message Hillel could get behind. I am curious to understand, as these other factions exist, as uh, the Peter Beinart voices of the college campuses emerge, what happens uh, inside a Hill environment, what happens to, to pro-Israel activism. Let's get to our guest and ask them some of these questions, Jared. Without further ado, Adam Lehman was named president and CEO of Hillel International in January 2020 after serving as Hillel International's interim CEO and chief operating officer. He previously served as president and chief operating officer of a venture-backed software and data analytics company, and in the same role with the crowdsource creative platform Genius Rocket. He spent eight years with America Online, yes, that America Online, serving as senior vice president and group chief operating officer for the 150-person central business development unit, developing strategies, business plans, and strategic partnerships to expand and solidify AOL's global business presence across numerous international offices and joint ventures. If you still have some sort of heartburn over your dial-up speed, this is not the podcast for you. It really will have nothing to do with those problems you had 20 years ago. <laughs> Adam was also a founder of the early-stage investment company Rockridge Ventures and an entrepreneur in residence at the University of Maryland Smith School of Business, graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's degree from Dartmouth, Cum laude with a JD from Harvard Law School and was also a Harry Truman Scholar. Adam Lehman, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you so much, Jared and Rich. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. You know, you've recently expanded a program you call the Campus Climate Initiative. Why don't you first start out talking to our listeners about what that program is, why it was innovated, and what it's doing? Terrific. Um, I'll, I'll start just not assuming total knowledge about Hillel and, and Hillel International. We are the largest Jewish student organization. We are uh, operating primarily in North America, but in 16 other countries as well. We engage annually about 150,000 students, really privileged to be able to do that work on behalf of Jewish students and other students interested in Jewish life. And we're powered by uh, 1,200 inspiring professionals who commit their lives to uh, supporting the Jewish future by working with Jewish students. So with that as backdrop, uh, most of our work, thankfully, 
is in the realm of developing positive Jewish experiences for students. You know, what we would put in the category of joy of Judaism, you know, whether that's related to their own personal journey spiritually, whether that is engaging in service, tzedek, other ways to express Jewish values, uh, whether that's Jewish learning uh, or, or just being a part of a community at a time when meaning and purpose are, are really important to young people. Uh, even with that as a focus of our work, we also represent the Jewish community on campus. And unfortunately, if you look at campus trends and broader trends in uh, North American life and, and really globally, we are very much seeing this rise in, in anti-Semitism on campus. Sometimes it is expressed in the form of uh, demonization of Israel and other forms of anti-Zionism. And sometimes it's expressed in other um, forms that just result in bias and discrimination against Jewish students. And uh, as the largest Jewish student organization, we take seriously uh, addressing that, uh, that problem. And so we do that at a lot of levels. But one of the things we discovered as we uh, not only measured this uh, meaningful increase in anti-Semitic activity on campus, but developed strategies to address it, is that we have to engage university leaders in this process. This cannot be just the uh, focus of Jewish organizations and student leaders. We need administrators to take responsibility for uh, taking on anti-Semitism in the same way they focus on other forms of bias, discrimination, and injustice. And beyond simply advocating to administrators, we've really said, how can we better educate and equip university leaders so that they can be partners in understanding anti-Semitism and actually making policy change that uh, that addresses the issue. And so we created this campus climate initiative. We now have uh, 40 schools that are participating. And when a school participates, they are not simply showing up for an hour long webinar. It's a two year program where often a dozen or more members of the administration are uh, participating throughout the year in education, in training, in policy consultation, in peer consultation. And uh, yeah, it's been really uh, an important step for us. Again, it's not the silver bullet, but it has been an important development. And how did the f sort of initial 40 list come about? You're just advertising and say, hey, we were interested, or this was, you know, a target list of we've seen anti-Semitism problems there. Will you engage with us? Uh, something of a mix. How, how do you put this list together? Yeah, definitely a mix. Again, we have the, the luxury, the benefit of uh, being in relationship with 850 campuses around the world. And um, with that, uh, we do broadcast widely about all of the interventions that we make available, whether that's to administrators, students, you know, or of course, our Hillel professional field. Uh, but in addition, there, of course, are hotspots. And, and there's a really unfortunate um, correspondence between large Jewish student populations and where these issues pop up. And, and I don't think that's, you know, accidental. I think that's a function of where organizations or individuals want to create issues for Jewish students or students who are engaged uh, with Israel. 
uh, you know, that's where they're focusing their efforts. So we did um, certainly uh, reach out to many schools to, uh, you know, try to enlist them and get them involved where the, the issues have been most intense. So, you know, I want to uh, I want to come back to something you said about uh, university presidents in a minute. But but you, since you touched on it, so the head of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, made a very blunt, well-publicized statement a few weeks back that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And do you agree with that? And is sort of that the message you're delivering to to uh, university presidents? Yeah, great question. Uh, first, let me start by saying uh, we partner closely with ADL and Jonathan. We also partner with AJC and, and many other organizations in the Jewish world and beyond in taking on these issues. Um, I, I think we know that we could end up in a Talmudic you know, discussion in terms of trying to parse the semantics. And I did listen in on your guys' discussion with uh, Yehuda Kurtzer, who is also a partner of ours from the Shalom Hartman Institute, uh, who I think made the case against conflating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Here is the way I think about it, and I think it's pretty well reflected in how we operate. Um, there absolutely are um, uh, times when criticism of Israel uh, does not represent anti-Semitism, and we could probably spend a 24-hour marathon talking through some of those examples. Um, that said, when you look at the campus and campus climate, the focused uh, efforts of both external organizations, campus-based organizations and students to specifically demonize Israel in ways that sadly are so divorced from fact or reality, um, number one, often fall straight into anti-Semitic tropes. Uh, and number two, we see the direct impact, you know, if you talk to members of Gen Z and, you know, we are now experts in Generation Z and, you know, what young people are thinking about, because that's that's the nature of our work. That's our stock and trade. And, you know, they're often, you know, uh, trying to differentiate between intent and impact. And so when people, again, Talmudically twist themselves into pretzels trying to show why anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, look at impact. And the impact is that Jewish students are often ostracized, alienated, uh, or face concrete bias from faculty, from teaching assistants. Uh, and even beyond the anecdotals, there have been now multiple studies showing an increase in you know, both these uh, embedded examples of anti-Semitism where a student is facing bias and discrimination, or some of the, the really over-the-top versions that we've all seen in life, whether that's graffiti, whether that's physical, you know, assault, and thankfully, you know, the minority of cases, you know, or attacks in social media. So bottom line, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, kind of the, the virulence of anti-Zionism that shows up in BDS campaigns and the like does translate uh, into bias and discrimination and and the alienation of just being a Jewish student on campus. And it shouldn't be so hard. And I do want to say, too, and this is something you know that's important in the balance. In some ways, it's the best time to be a Jewish student on campus. Right. There have never been more opportunities you know, through organizations like Hillel or Chabad or Birthright or others to you know, engage Jewishly. 
But in some, you know, it's it's classic, you know, Dickensian best of times, worst of times, because it can also be a really um, tough space. And and final thing, just on this um, on this riff, which is, we did a survey with the ADL about a year ago, you know, because we are data driven. We don't want to just um, pursue these questions from a place of anecdote. And a full thirty three percent of students, one in three, had personally observed or experienced uh, something they believe to be anti-Semitic. And 15% of students uh, said they were not comfortable sharing their Jewish identity. That's really bad. And our CC, you know, one of the things back to data on our campus climate uh, campuses, again, to be data-driven, we do a pre and post assessment of how Jewish student life is experienced on that campus. And and going back to... uh, Rich's comment about, well, do we, you know, try to focus on campuses based on where the issues are most significant? In some of our surveys, we have seen that 15% climb to 40 or 50%. Totally unacceptable. If you're another minoritized community, can you imagine if, you know, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, you know, was out saying we cannot express ourselves that, you know, we're we're gonna actually. Um, be undercover. And obviously that's the way it was for many minoritized communities, particularly those that, uh, you know, like like the black community or Hispanic community, it's not an option. But anyway, bottom line, um, this is why we're so focused on, on pushing back here. You just mentioned that there are campuses where you've seen that rise to like 40%. I mean, are you comfortable sharing like what campuses those are or you know, maybe hopefully they've improved by now. But like, I, I mean, if I'm a parent out there, it's like I, I want to have a list, right? Like what campus where should I not send my kid to right now? Yeah. And that's such a tricky question. So I, I'm not going to share specific campus names. There are organizations that put lists out of like the worst, you know, campuses for Jewish students. Uh, the paradox there is often that it's, it's like I said, with best of times, worst of times when you can, you know, this is not throwing Columbia under the bus at all, but it had in some of these lists has shown up as a worse. Well, the Upper West Side of New York, last I checked, is one of the most thriving spaces for the Jewish community and Jewish life. And, and Columbia has unbelievable you know, opportunities. So it, it, it really, I, there are very, very few places I would ever dissuade a parent uh, or student from looking at. I do think it's fair game for a parent and student to, um, you know, get to campus and assess for themselves. Talk to Jewish students, talk to their hill professional, you know, as, as a side plug here, you know, many silver linings from operating through the pandemic. And, and one of them for us, we created a virtual college fair. So, you know, parent or student can just get online and talk to a student leader or hill professional and say, what's the real deal? Um, and how's it going to affect me? Well, listen, great, great, good on you guys for for the data driven approach. My old boss, uh, Mayor Mike, used to say, uh, "In God we trust; everybody else bring data." Right. And, and in fact, at one point, that was on T-shirts uh, floating around the office. And, and Adam, you should you should definitely like tweet out like a photo of, of Hillel International Headquarters where you sit right in the middle of the room with all your staff around you. Yeah, that, no. that that would really get your right, you know what so. enough enough out yeah. of you. All right, so. Uh, okay. A question for you. Um, so you, ha- you, you talked a little bit about your work with university presidents. Um, you had a summit for university presidents in April. 
How do you track progress like that? We talked a lot about the data, uh, you know, relating to the Campus Climate Initiative. Are you running similar data or similar metrics after you meet with these university presidents who, you know, each one of them thinks that they're the president of the United States? Yeah, and or is there like a checklist that you're saying, like, here's here's your SOP, here's your standard operating procedure, like we want to see these 10 things happen? Yeah, I mean, you guys should be signed up as co-executive directors for the Campus Climate Initiative. Oh, boy. Well, we're available. You know, we're always available. (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes, and yes. First of all, let me say a little bit about that summit. Because to me, that that was really inspiring when we look at the positive uh, trends here. We had 45 university presidents or chancellors spending two full days uh, learning about uh, current trends in in anti-Semitism and together in a, in a peer-driven way, talking about how to deal with the thorny aspects of this issue. How do you balance you know, free speech considerations with um, actually creating a campus climate that, that advances your educational institution's mission? How do you deal with student organizations that cross lines? You know, how do you understand where you are or are not making progress? Um, In addition, by the way, to the 45 leaders, they each brought their lead uh, student affairs professional who could be a provost, could be a vice president of student affairs, could be a a vice president of diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, And we spent the last part of that summit going through, as as Richard said, the SOP, like what is what is the action plan? And so bottom line, number one, yes, we are. measuring progress. And again, the ultimate measure is when Jewish students say, I feel safe, comfortable, and in an environment where I can succeed as a student and in life on this campus, just like we would want every student to feel that. Um, But as intermediate steps, have they incorporated anti-Semitism into the faculty, student, and staff training they do when they talk about racism or other forms of bias and discrimination? Have they educated their bias reporting team on what anti-Semitism represents, how it shows up, so that you know they can actually be uh, receptive when Jewish students report anti-Semitism? One of the other troubling stats from uh, the survey we did in partnership with the ADL a year ago was that more than 60% of the students who had experienced anti-Semitism said they didn't report it because they didn't think anyone would respond. Um, So those are the kinds of of steps that we're evaluating in partnership with universities. And whereas, you know, I don't want to throw any campuses under the bus relative to the prior question about, you know, where are the worst places? I, I will say two things. One, like, just to keep it real, some of the examples that are out there publicly you know, you guys might have seen at University of Illinois where Students for Justice in Palestine not only, you know, held a, a, a really um, divisive rally, but then went to the Hillel building and started yelling at people coming in and out of the building and actually throwing things, uh, you know, at the building. I mean, again, not what we think about in terms of an acceptable campus climate. And then, by the way, the university sponsoring in their DEI program one of the most atrocious, virulent, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel speakers on campus, then getting caught and saying, oh, well, uh, yeah, we're not sponsoring this anymore. I mean, sorry, my home state, uh, my wife's alma mater, something very broken in the administration, University of Illinois. You don't have to comment on that. That's my statement, but please go ahead. 
No, I, I will come in on it to say, again, it is representative of what is best of times, worst of times here. There are some really pro- problematic examples. We're about to, in the positive, celebrate Hillel's centennial, our 100th anniversary. And pop quiz, where was the first Hillel? University of Illinois. University, University of Illinois. Really? Not the first for AP, though. That was the fourth Delta chapter there. I know that. Yeah, true, true. So, um, uh, you know, there's there's actually a strong legacy of University of Illinois and that administration is, I will say, to their credit, at least partnering with us to um, try to address what have been, you know, a series of issues. Um, You know, there's been a Tufts is an example, but many other schools where SJP for short, Students for Justice in Palestine, has pursued a full-on anti-normalization campaign against Hillel, not against you know something Israel-specific, but just by virtue of the fact that we do incorporate Israel engagement into our work. Uh, they're out there advocating that any student should avoid Hillel, should not be involved with Hillel, should view Hillel as trafe, as you know, evil, as what? So awful, right? Um, and you may have read, I think it was Boston Globe ran a story with a UConn student who was, uh, you know, debating a group of anti-Israel students around what was appropriate flyering. She got not only surreptitiously recorded, but then kicked out of her acapella group, ostracized from other student organizations. So issues are real, but on the positive side, there are a lot of really, uh, good outcomes. So not only from President Summit, but from our campus climate initiative work at Florida Atlantic University, we had for the first time a Jewish student added to the diversity council. At Tufts, where those issues were, the administration has publicly shared its action plan, you know, going back to what is the SOP for what uh, steps an administration should take. At Duke, this is, you know, this was a really important one. Students supporting Israel, a, a student group, not exclusively Jewish, but that is a, a pro-Zionist organization, um, was uh, subjected to a double standard and not recognized by the student government. We went in, we ran a training through the Campus Climate Initiative for the entirety of student government, which was you know, dozens of students. Coming out of that, they passed the IRA definition uh, defining anti-Semitism. They expressed their university-wide support for Jewish students during this time. Uh, and they committed to, you know, continuing to pursue education. So I, I could go on with these examples. Bottom line, we know we're making progress. We also know, again, it's it's a multi, I don't want to be too militaristic, but multi-front battle. But, you know, thankfully for people who are concerned and read about the negative stories, you know, there are a lot of progress points as well. I'll tell you one campus in particular that I focus on a lot because it's in the news a lot, the University of Vermont. Uh, that just seems like a hotbed for anti-Semitism. I think there were 58 reported cases, according to Jewish on campus, last year. Uh, I don't know if you can comment on what's going on there. Uh, that that seems to be a horrific case, certainly. Uh, I, I I don't think, as I saw part of the cohort, and that and that may reflect why, but uh, definitely where work needs to be done. I, I do have a question. Following up, you know, I, I mentioned that the Illinois case was part of the DEI program, and we have seen reports throughout the country where university DEI programs, not, not by the way, not unique universities happening in corporations as well, but the DEI programs go off the rails, right? And so suddenly it's this, 
you know, bastion for, for anti-Semitism through the demonization uh, of Israel uh, and Jews sometimes even um, as a privileged class, etc. We've seen faculty victimized at times, lawsuits filed. Are you seeing this a problem that you're dealing with? Is, is it part of the programming to say, hey, here's sort of overall climate issues, but let's just take a look under the hood at your DEI program here and make sure there's nothing that's contributing to the problem on campus? Yeah, I absolutely want to comment on this because it's, it's a rich area, um, no pun intended. But uh, I do want to go back and, and speak to the UVM situation, uh, in part because we have an outstanding hill at UVM led by Matt Vogel. Um, that Hillel has good partnership with the university. This is, again, this example where there are great Jewish student life opportunities. You know, Matt, every Hillel caters to the unique culture of its campus. So, of course, at UVM, they've got their eco-friendly sukkah and their Shabbat with organic food and, you know, their dafyomi, which is, you know, a daily ritual for Tama learning you know, built around the Hill director. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's, it's Hen Yomi, because he, he's, of course, raising organic hens. And, and so, you know, builds the learning process into uh, his, his daily feeding of the hens. So it's a cool place. It's a cool place for Jewish students. They absolutely have had issues. We are, without going into, you know, details that shouldn't be shared, we are working with everyone, student groups, administrators, but um, it is where, it, it, you know, and we partner with Jewish on campus and, and lots of other um, other student led groups different from Hillel. The data um, can be problematic if it's not normalized. Um, you know, in that case, my sense is it was all self-reported. So it's not that there was a survey done of every campus and that 58 then could be compared to, you know, 22 at Ohio State and 75 at Berkeley or whatever. Um, so just want to put that in context because, again, for better or worse, you know, I'm relatively close to, to the situation. Going back to your question, this may be the biggest question when we think about addressing campus climate for Jewish students, this question of, okay, where does that fit in the DEI framework and DEI agenda? Um, in the best case, you know, Jews are regarded in that framework as they should be as a minoritized community. We're, we are a minority. And by the way, historically, have been uh, a community that's uh, been subject to some of the most extreme discrimination over thousands of years. And even today still have some of the highest um, numbers of, of bias against uh, us as a community. So, of course, it should be in that framework. As we know, or at least as I observe, um, and, and I'll take the high road on this, it, there are times where a DEI agenda just has a blind spot, right? And they are so focused on a, a different subset of minority communities um, that they are either not aware of issues for Jewish students and the role that anti-Semitism plays in creating a hostile campus climate, um, or I guess it's not so high road. In the worst case, they they really actually, from a political point of view or in their minds, philosophical point of view, affirmatively see Jews in this monolithic way as privileged, white, rich, 
uh, and white supremacists, right? That's that's the absolute worst case. Um, and so we don't, and I've had people tell me, you know, uh, yeah, you have to ignore DEI or, or worse. You just have to um, try to fight it on campus. No way. Like we, Hillel is an institution, and I believe our Jewish community as a whole should continue to strongly support addressing injustice, bias and discrimination, wherever it shows up. Uh, but we want the same uh, consideration that's afforded to, to other communities. And so our focus is education um, and policy change. Because again, these DEI offices are often developing and implementing very concrete policies that flow through to the student experience. Um, so so that that's our approach. I could happy to share both the negative examples and positives, but definitely a, a big issue in, at this moment. So I wanted to ask you about uh, the transition at APAC. We've talked a lot about this, um, their change to being an actual PAC as opposed to a a pack, um, but but that uh, transitions included letting go of its historic role uh, organizing pro-Israel activity on campus. Um, how are you guys handling that, and how do you think Hillel's role changes, if at, at all, uh, because of that? I don't want to say vacuum, but but for the for that organization stepping back at least on campus. Yeah, it's a great question because APAC's shift uh, is for sure. Um, having lots of ripple effects. And one of those is uh, specifically around uh, engaging student leaders uh, in Israel advocacy, whether those are Jewish student leaders or non-Jewish student leaders, because APAC historically has uh, focused in both of those spaces. If you've been to uh, APAC Policy Conference at its peak, there were more than 4,000 uh, students who would show up to Policy Conference. Um, and I do want to you know, I don't know if this is um, unnecessary, but be really clear that uh, when uh, when we are doing work in release, in relation to Israel on campus, we have very big tent. We don't prescribe what what a student's view should be around Israel or what views they should hold. You know, we welcome every student into Hill, regardless of their views on Israel or, or any other question or issue. Uh, in Jewish life or in the world. But as part of that, we, of course, want to support uh, Jewish students and other students who have a, an affinity for Israel, who understand the unique role that Israel has played in Jewish life, history, uh, theology, and, and contemporary um, society. So with that, um, we're, we're working hard right now to actually um, expand our student leadership opportunities in the Israel space. We just launched last year an Israel leadership network uh, that we're going to be growing to more than a thousand students uh, in the near term, in part, as you said, Jared, to, to deal with the fact that those opportunities aren't there in the same way uh, through APAC. The second thing we've done, which is really important when we think about this whole set of issues we've been talking about, is continuing to invest in relationships across campus, whether that's with student leaders in the Black community, the, the Latinx community, the LGBTQ community, the Greek community, on and on and on. Um, and, and that's meeting them where they are with their issues, but also uh, engaging them around uh, issues for the Jewish community. And as one 
concrete program that is uh, really important. Uh, we bring in a typical year more than a hundred uh, buses of uh, student leaders to Israel for what we call a fact-finding trip, and that's primarily non-Jewish student leaders, but uh, it's about 20 to 25 non-Jewish student leaders, or better put, student leaders from other you know, communities and faith backgrounds, and then five uh, student leaders from the Jewish community. And they go everywhere. They go to the, well, they don't go to Gaza, but they go to the West Bank. They are in and out of all other parts of communities inside Israel. Uh, and, and so that, it, because we built that up in such a significant way, I don't think we're going to feel on that side the shift as much because APAC had traditionally been doing that both uh, with students, but also significantly with, um, you know, with professionals as well. Quick follow up here, because I, I think this is a it's a big deal to a lot of people, I think, right? There, there's a lot of interest uh, throughout the country in what happens to their, you know, people's kids and their grandkids. And, it, you know, maybe it's it's outsized, you know, in our in our community of the donor interest and the just outcry and what people feel like there's a conflict in, in Gaza and it's the campuses that are always tip of the spear. So people just feel it more. And, and I think there's also this fear of, you know, the next generation and our future leaders discouraged? Do they, are they disaffected? Do they just say, I, I, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It was too hard in college. And so my question is when it's APEC in charge, right? If they're, they're in the lead and they have the Saban forum and they're, they're recruiting and training sort of the next generation of pro-Israel leadership, they obviously have a very obvious stated ideological view and policy bent, et cetera. And, you know, a J Street U kid wants to go to Saban, like he's not getting to, she or she's not coming to Saban, right? They're not on the trip. Um, you get to be exclusive and say, no, this is our agenda. It's not your agenda. You don't have to be here. Because Hillel has, as you said, this big tent environment where you're not turning away people. If you become the hub for pro-Israel activism and training, I, can you turn away the J Street U people and say, well, I want to be part of those resources too? Or is there somebody who's going to have some, you know, a different ideological bent, do your speakers then have to accommodate, you know, a, a broader range of view? And, and do we then shift, you know, the goalposts sort of down the field more because of this big tent environment? Yeah, also a great question and just relates to the reality of uh, life on campus. And I'll point out that, yes, that question relates to how Jewish students or other students think about or engage with Israel positively or negatively. It also relates as we think about Jewish life in terms of denominationalism. It also relates to how we think about Jewish life when it comes to many other polarizing issues in society today. You know, we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about and understanding what some of the recent Supreme Court decisions mean for students and staff and communities. So, you know, this is this is the nature of uh, life today, where we have to think. As it is, we're really countercultural, right? We're, we are one of the few institutions in Jewish life of the world that is steadfastly saying we're not going to simply um, break into one tribe. We represent all twelve tribes, and we're going to keep um, stitching together and actually trying to um, educate and support people who want a dialogue across difference. So I'll, I'll start from there. If I go to your specific question, that means a couple of things. One, yes, we will have um, a Hillel philosophy and approach to how we support Israel 
leadership. Um, I, I don't want to um, gloss over the fact that the students who are opting into our Israel Leadership Network are doing so because they have a very deep um, commitment to and, and affinity for Israel and everything it represents. So it's self-selecting in some ways because of that. Absolutely self-selecting right. in that sense. But, you know, I will tell you, there are students who are part of all sorts of organizations that feel that and may have different ways that they want to express that in terms of their their organizational connection. The other key piece here um, is, and this is important too in terms of how we think about our work at Hillel. Um, I came out, my background is not, I was very involved in Jewish life through Camp Ramah, through our federation, Jewish day school, where my kids went, blah, 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 right? You know, all, all in. But my professional life had been, you know, I was at AOL for many years as an executive and then a startup entrepreneur um, in technology and media. You're, steal, you're stealing our questions. Now you can tell us what, yeah. No. All right, sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, I'd love to know sort of how that whole experience, AOL and everything, like how, how you go from that entrepreneurial world, tech world, and now you're heading Hill International. Like, what is that transition like? But yeah, go on. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Well, so the one piece of it that I'll tell you is if you look at the most successful and impactful platforms in the world today, and they happen to be primarily in the technology world, um, you know, they're built on relatively open architecture. So whether you're talking about Facebook or Google or Apple, uh, they have their own signature you know, programs, you open up your iPhone and there are some built-in Apple apps for, you know, weather or news or whatnot. But then they actually create a, a way for you to engage with the best of breed based on your choice. And so go back to um, how we operate in the Israel space. We need to have that, you know, what's known as an API, an open API, where, you know, uh, we can create space for students who want to you know, on the one hand, advocate, you know, with Congress or with their student government locally and feel very um, passionately in one direction. But then, you know, there are 50 other Israel related organizations where as long as, um, you know, they are able to partner in a, in a constructive way, we want to partner with them and make sure students can access uh, Israel engagement or Jewish life through those partners as well. So zooming out for a second about the wider mission of Hillel today. I mean, when Rich and I were on campus, it was Jews doing Jewish stuff with other Jews. What's the mission statement today and how do you view Hillel's role going forward? Yeah, well, first of all, big shout out to Richard Joel, who that was the tagline during the Richard uh, Joel period. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's Richard right. Joel, who, who he, was he, he and Edgar Brothman did the did the whole like pony ride while I was in college and came by and had a whole form. So, one of the greatest experiences. So Richard Joel and Edgar Bronfen welcomed me on the tarmac for the first ever birthright trip run through where I went through Johns Hopkins Hillel in the winter of 2000. Uh, and it was totally life-changing. So shout out to, to Richard Joel again. Yeah. And to Edgar, you know, all of us show them the, um, Hey, listen, this is part of the reason it is such an honor to be able to do this work serving, you know, the Hillel field and, and Jewish students. There's, there's an incredible legacy. Uh, and by the way, shout out to Matthew Bronfman, uh, one of Edgar's sons, who's now uh, the uh, chair of our board of governors. Oh, wow. uh, so the legacy continues. I mean, that Excellent. Bronfman family is just, uh, you know, marriage 
marriage made in heaven in terms of Hillary. every every board meeting well uh beveraged and um yeah lots of upside lots of, sorry, cool. yeah many many legacies yeah. there so yeah. currently you know our, our mission statement is to enrich the lives of jewish students so they can enrich the jewish people and the world i i would translate that further to say we we are in the the joy of judaism and inspiration business uh i don't need to tell you guys that you can look at all sorts of data reports including the most recent Pew study, and we can wring our hands about um, what's not working in Jewish life, you know, how young people are um, disaffiliating or just choosing not to walk in the door. Um, we are huge, not only proponents for, but enablers of uh, an exciting Jewish future. And so how do you do that? We do that by um, innovating in Jewish life, that's everything from what I was saying about UVM, you know, the, the eco sukkah competition down to unique ways to engage a young person in a bar bat mitzvah, you know, where Princeton Hill had a, a, this very cool program that would start with your passion. Maybe you had no Jewish background, but could work your way back, um, you know, on to, yeah, I mean, literally with 150,000 students engaged, there are probably more than a million unique ways that a Jewish student has or other student has engaged with Jewish life. So it's about lighting fires. It's about sparking souls. And listen, we have the, one of the richest canons of, uh, of magic, right? Of technology, you know, the technology of Judaism going back thousands of years, whether someone wants to engage at a learning level or at a tzedek or tikkun alum level or at a, a ritual level, um, you know, or be supported just through their life journey. That's that's what we do. That's what we're about. By the way, it does mean uh, the hill of today is a little different than the hill uh, you guys experienced because, you know, we're uh, making available a wider set of experiences. We actually have a much bigger footprint. So we're on more campuses. One of the most interesting trends in Jewish student life is as Jewish student populations decrease at the institutions you guys attended and many other selective schools. The fastest growth is at community colleges, commuter schools, and non-traditional institutions. So that means we spend more time dealing with food insecurity and dealing with housing insecurity. We provide a lot of internships. At the Hill of today, we spend a lot of time on mental health and wellness because there's an epidemic for young people. And not only is it a Jewish value to support, you know, of course, the well-being of members of the Jewish community, uh, but some of the most protective factors when it comes to having a healthy experience as a young person are what we do, building relationships, building community, finding meaning and purpose. So, so that's those are the kinds of things that are powering, you know, powering the hill of today. And back to what we were talking about with Israel, we had our largest birthright uh, set of Hill buses ever. We had 110 buses just this last month. You know, if you go back to, you know, between May and June. Um, and so uh, it's, I think there's an uh, optimism I have that often gets overshadowed by sometimes what we read, either with the macro hand ringing around the, you know, disintegration of, of Jewish identity and Jewish life, or these kind of episodic challenges, which are real, but don't define the you know, the full picture. Uh, I have one last question, and Jared may as well, before we move into our lightning round. 
And that is, um, I think it's not well understood by people who hear, oh, it's Adam Lehman, president and CEO of Hillel International. I want to talk to him about this campus. You know, he's got to do something there, right? I think the structure and the nature of your relationship with individual Hillels, right, is not well understood. That you can't really, in some cases, just, you're not like an owned and controlled television station, right? There's a Jewish federation locally that maybe is the predominant donor. There, there's a major investor in the community, an alum. They have their own boards, et cetera. How is that dynamic, right? Like there is a crisis on a campus. There is an Israel problem. There may be an ideological disagreement with an investor, with a board member, with with a Hillel director. You get a lot of pressure from you know people around the country. You got to do something here, yeah, Rich. Right? You want to you want to have to have to tell how the sausage is made or how the gefilte well, fish is I'm, made. I'm, I feel like just, that's you, you know, know how 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 does it work? How does how does it work for our listeners? Yeah, now I, you guys are. True Hillel. This is the Jewish insider. This is the Hillel. Right. This isn't this, this isn't the Jewish. Yeah. This is not yeah. the Jewish outsider. This is yeah. the Jewish Correct. insider. It's not the Jewish insider. It's Hillel insider because we're right. getting right. into serious kosher sausage making, uh, and uh, it is important in terms of how the work is done. I'll actually reference back to the technology, uh, you know, or media framework, in that yes, we're, we are an affiliate network. We're, we're distributed, and. In some ways, people can say, oh, God, it's so hard because it means it's not owned and operated. We, you know, uh, all of our local hills have either a local board or they're embedded within a, in a university structure. And so they are um, able to make a lot of decision making independently and locally. Uh, that said, they are subject to uh, being a part of this network and and. That has a lot of substance and um, and meaning to you know being a hillel. Being a hill can't just be being whatever you want to be. And so we have standards, we have parameters, uh, and we have frameworks. I also look at the strong positives of the structure. Uh, go back to what I was saying before. We are the innovation lab for the Jewish future. We need to be the engine that enables students to create their own experiences because then they're going to go off and be the leaders elsewhere uh, in the Jewish community for, for decades to come. And you don't get to innovation by having a like, you know, serious command and control, you know, approach to um, an organization. We have such an asset by having all of these local laboratories for creativity, experimentation. And again, big shout out to the 1200 professionals we have who these are some of the most incredible people I've ever met. Uh, and you guys may have experienced it yourself, you know, in terms of how they approach the work and, and you know, feed Jewish student life. So that's that's the structural piece of this. It does make my job uh, spicy and interesting on many days where, you know, you're um, it's kind of you know, it's, it, it's, it, in some ways it's a federal system, too. Right. It's like um, it's like the, it's like the Chabad system a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Chabad system. But I'm also thinking, you know, you guys know the political uh, world, you know, it's not dissimilar from, you know, a situation where a state has autonomy over certain things. And if you're in, you know, a federal agency or you're well, if, federal, if Rich had his way, they would have autonomy over all things. But that, as they say, is another okay. podcast. So, Sorry, Rich, I couldn't couldn't help myself, man. Yeah. So we're a laboratory in that way, too. And, <laughs> and maybe as our, our political system works its way through structural dysfunction, we can be a you know, a reference point there too. Right, exactly. All right, Jared, Jared, the drive-by was so fast, I didn't even know what happened to me. It's zing, zing, yeah, zing. Yeah, all right, right. Um, Adam, 
so the lightning round. We're going to ask you a couple questions just to get a better sense of who you are as a person and uh, what's in your kishkas. All right. Favorite Yiddish word or phrase, profanity is allowed as long as it's in Yiddish. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go shepping nachis. You know, it's, oh, it's, nice. it's a weird it's one. Nice. But no, yeah, it's not weird. Oh, yeah, but, but, nice. but I mean, just the combination and... Uh, but yeah, so meaningful in terms of being able to show pride, you know, Cavelling cousin, and yeah, that's where I'm going. Okay, favorite Jewish food? I, there I'm gonna go with hamantaschen. I'm a holiday food guy to mm. begin with. So, you know, whether it's oh. amazing challah and Shabbat, you know, or soup kaniyot, but yeah, a great hamantaschen. And, and we have to nail you down, is that a cookie hamantaschen or a dough hamantaschen? It's gonna be dough and it's gonna be particular fruit flavors. So mm. I'll go with the lighter fruits, you know, an apricot or a peach, but I, I favor the, the darker fruits. Uh, I'm just going to take a point of personal privilege and give a shout out to my wife, who is a rock star in her own right, but during COVID learned to bake challah and now does it every Shabbos. And it is uh, phenomenal. So shout and she out. mails it, she mails it to our listeners. So, so yeah, please yeah. So if you listen, Jared. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what? I would, uh, I would uh, love an order. And by the way, like, uh, no disrespect to packaged challah, but it's just a not the same. Challah, amazing. You get the sourdough, or you get the chocolate chip, or you get the multigrain. So good. My, my wife I, I'd also it. like the lobby for taking it out of the oven just a little early. Just so you get the oh, really yes. doughy, the real yeah. doughy. Kind of, you know, we do, we yeah. do the everything yeah. spice on the challah, too, which mm. is a nice, mm. uh, a nice, nice. touch. Not That's every nice. week, though. All right. Um, favorite college campus? Oh, and I have two oh. daughters, so I'm gonna I'm gonna split it. I mean, I'm gonna be a, a pluralist here. One daughter graduated from WashU, Washington University in St. Louis. Oh my God, what a special place! Younger daughter is a rising senior at Tulane. Not only you know New Orleans, come on, but you know cool campus, such a, a awesome Hillel with you know a, a, a vegan style hybrid with New Orleans accent. Uh, food place in the first level so anyway both amazing all right and finally you are a leading jewish professional at this point in your career uh, leading a major organization is there a jewish leader in history that you look to for inspiration oh my god that's a really good uh and tough question this is going to sound corny but uh you know i, I go biblical on that and i it, you know you look at moshe Rabbeinu, moses yeah and I often, I literally just did this as we were dealing with a really complicated politicized issue um, last week within the Hill of Movement and reference back to what it takes to lead the 40 years in the desert, you know, with an onslaught of challenges and dissension. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm going. Awesome. Adam Lehman, thanks so much for joining us. We uh, loved having you on and we look forward to having you back again soon. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for, for having me on the on the show. Wow, Rich. Uh, really, you know, it takes me back to uh, my days of uh, skulking around Charles Street and Charles Village in Baltimore and going to services at the Hill Building, the Smokler Center uh, after it was built when I graduated, and then uh, in the Glass Pavilion as an undergrad led by our phenomenal Hillel director, Rabbi Joe Menashe, now of Camp Ramad, L.A. So that was really great to kind of nerd out and go back to college for a few minutes there. Agreed, agreed. It's been it's been a while. It's been a while, we'll just say that. But uh, 
Uh, it was definitely a, a formative place for me. Spent a lot of time there, served in executive leadership positions uh, for our Hillel. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, we said at the very top of the intro, if you go back, a strong Hillel uh, is a very, very, very important thing for Jews on campus. Uh, a weak Hillel can be very damaging. Indeed. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Limited Liability Podcast. Thanks for listening.